Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. Happy New Year. This is the first podcast of 2018 and possibly also the most exciting one. It's this time of year where we look forward into our crystal balls and try to predict the big trends of 2018 and also have to face our demons and see how we did in our last prediction session in 2017. I'm joined for this annual ritual by ECFR's research director, Jeremy Shapiro. Good to be here, Mark. I always welcome this opportunity for humiliation. So um, I suggest before we look into our crystal balls that we uh, get our report cards out and see how, how we've marked ourselves. I think it was a surprisingly good year, 2017. Uh, it was a terrible year, but I think it wasn't too bad for our predictions. I think it was a year in which pessimism really paid off. Uh, and uh, I think our, uh, our predictions held up pretty well, but let's go through them all and see how we did. So I think we got eight out of 10, but we're, we're happy to, to see any of these things challenged um, uh, if anyone wants to write in. Yeah, we, we do this via self-grading, which we find really helps the scores. So if you, if you disagree, please feel free to say that we were wrong and we will um, you know, tell you that you're wrong. You can tweet about it or you can write to me at mark.leonard.ecfr.eu and, and explain how we got it wrong or maybe um, you know, why we deserve a higher mark than we've given ourselves. So um, why don't we go through them? I think the, the first of our predictions last year was that elections would dominate EU foreign policy and we were looking forward at this gauntlet of uh, I think eight elections which different EU member states had to, to get through which were pretty important um, and um, certainly had a, a huge impact on uh, both the way that the EU uh, operated but also did crowd out quite a lot of foreign policy making so I think we'll get a tick for that one. Our second prediction was of Russia's triumphant return to the West. We thought that 2017 would mark the time in which Russia repaired its relations with the West, and particularly that uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin would show up at the G7 meeting in Sicily in May. Uh, this turned out to be uh, dramatically wrong, and as a matter of fact, I lost a 20 euro bet with our Russia director, Frederick Veslau, on this, but I did, in my defense, accurately predict that I would never actually pay him the 20 euros. So the third prediction was strange bedfellows defend world order. We predicted that as Trump shook the foundations of the liberal world order, the European Union would find itself having to work with China and other countries to uh, defend some of the big deals that, that came up. And we, we've seen that in quite a dramatic way, I think, after Trump's assault on the Paris climate deal. Um, we've seen it on Iran, which is another... Uh, important element of the, the, the world trade order, uh, uh, of the kind of global order which is being uh, challenged and, and also I think on, on, uh, on trade, so uh, another tick I'd say. Uh, the fourth prediction was that the Syrian civil war would fail to end. This one struck me even at the time as sort of a gimme, we were certainly right about it, but I think in our defense I would have to say that uh, in the wake of the fall of Aleppo at the end of 2016, a lot of people were predicting that the Syrian civil war uh, was going to come to an end. So we stood up boldly and said that this six-year civil war would continue for another year, and so it has. And the fifth prediction was that the EU-Turkey refugee deal would hold, which it has. Another tick. 
the sixth prediction was that the U.S. Would, would abandon the Iran deal while the EU struggles to maintain it. This one, I suppose, is a little bit controversial to say that we, um, that we predicted it correctly. But we did say that, the, that the, U, the U.S. would de facto abandon the deal. Even if they didn't do it de jure. Even if it didn't do it de jure. And in fact, I think that's precisely what they've done. They have, uh, the U.S. has essentially wrung all meaning outside, out of the Iran deal while at the same time pretending to uphold it. And certainly Europe has been vigorous in its defense. So the seventh one is not one of our greatest predictions. We said that Brexit negotiations would go nowhere, um, whereas in fact uh, there has been an agreement to go on to phase two of these negotiations. I'm still not sure they're going to go anywhere any good, but that's uh, maybe a different question. Uh, the eighth product, uh, prediction was that the, there would be a marginalization of the EU periphery, which is to say that France and Germany would really hold the, uh, and the other core members of the EU, would really hold the agenda on the EU and would be pushing forward uh, the EU process during the year and that countries like, uh, like Poland and like the UK on the outside would be, um, would be less important for EU developments. And that seems to have held true broadly speaking, through the year, although I think we might see it differently in 2018. Our ninth prediction was that Europe would finally get serious about defence, and this might also be a contested uh, question. Um, we've had various podcasts on how the launch of permanent structured cooperation might not quite be the waking up of the sleeping beauty, which uh, Jean-Claude Juncker called it uh, at the time. Uh, but at the same time, I think it is fair to say that more's happened on European defence than in a, over a decade. So um, uh, we'll take that as a minor victory. <laughs> Our tenth prediction was that uh, 2017 would mark the year would mark the year that the two-state solution finally ended. That that uh, people would see the end of the idea of the two-state solution as the solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And I think, uh, in fact, the two-state solution was declared dead many, many times during the year and really, I think, suffered, as, as we predicted, its, its sort of cataclysmic fail with the um, U.S. decision to move its embassy to Jerusalem. And currently, I think the two-state solution is not on the agenda at all, even if no one has formally abandoned it. And we had an 11th kind of bonus prediction about Europe gaining leverage by weaponizing Trump's golf courses and other business interests in Europe, which we're still waiting to, to see materialize. I think it's, it's uh, uh, not necessarily um, uh, an extra point, but um, anyway, we'll, we can see what happens in 2018. So that very generous grading gives us, uh, and not including the bonus prediction, which we decided not to include in order to improve our numbers, uh, that means that we got eight out of 10, which you know is actually very, very good in the prediction business. But as I said, it helps to grade yourself. Right, so now uh, is the moment that the world has been waiting for, which is to, to know what's gonna happen in 2018. Jeremy, do you wanna, do you wanna kick us off? Yeah, sure. Um, our first prediction is about um, North Korea. I think that there is this sort of general view that uh, nobody wants a war in North Korea, um, but that one may happen, usually through accidents. I think that actually the, the, the big story for 2018 in North Korea will not be the war, that there won't be a stumbling into war, um, but that there will be an increasing humanitarian crisis in North Korea as the sanctions start to kick in and as the North Korean regime starts to use 
the suffering of their people as a weapon to erode the sanctions regime in the style of Saddam Hussein in the 1990s. And I think so that the story of North Korea for, for 2018 will not be war, but it will be humanitarian crisis. So our second prediction is uh, partly to make up for our failure about the Brexit deal, uh, Brexit negotiations going nowhere. This year we're going to predict that they will conclude in a deal. However, the deal will be the beginning of the problems rather than the end of the problems. They'll both be problems um, uh, domestically within the UK and there could be a massive parliamentary backlash. But more importantly than that, if the deal is what it looks like it's going to be, which is to have a transition period that looks like, like Norway and the promise of an end state that looks like Canada, we could see um, big challenges getting that eventual deal ratified um, in the different member states because um, we saw that the Canadian deal was almost derailed by the Wallonian parliament um, but Michel Barnier has, has talked about how the, the big challenge for a, a Brexit trade deal is that um, rather than bringing Europe and the United Kingdom together in an ever-convergent set of regulations, the, the fear is that the UK will use this to diverge and to try and undercut the European social model. And if that becomes the fear in different member states, it could be almost impossible to get it ratified in, in different countries. So we predict that there could be a deal, that there will be a deal in 2018, probably in the autumn, but that in 2019 and 2020, we could see that deal blown apart either by UK domestic ratification problems or by the refusal of other member states to, uh, to agree to, uh, to the long-term uh, Canada-style trade deal. But that, that might be a few years afterwards, so it probably won't be, uh, be the fuse lit in 2018, but um, uh, it will blow up somewhat later. Our third prediction is about U.S. domestic politics. We think that um, the Republicans will lose at least uh, one of the houses of Congress in the midterm 2018 elections. This is pretty much conventional wisdom right now, although everyone's quite uncertain about it. Um, but I want to highlight two aspects of that which aren't as well noted. The first is that it won't be the, the Mueller investigation which will create the problems for Donald Trump and will create his impeachment. It will be this election. And it, if the Democrats take one of the houses, particularly if they take the House of Representatives, um, there will be, uh, first of all, an unending series of investigations into Trump-related scandals, including the Russia one. And secondly, impeachment will be something that the Democrats will have to bring forward, even though uh, it may not be politically advantageous in the end, and, 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 then, and even though it will not result in the removal of the president. So the next, the fourth trend is going to be the revenge of government on technology. For many, many years, technologists have predicted that innovation would change the world and end the tedious process of having to rely on politics as a way of, of bringing about progress. But in fact, we think that this will be the year where regulation trumps uh, technological innovation and two um, interesting uh, 
illustrations of this bigger trend will be the fact that this will be the year that the Commission, European Commission, goes after Facebook. It's already attacked Apple and Google, but Facebook, I think, could be a, a big focus for, uh, for, for government attacks. And we think that the powerful European Commission uh, Commissioner Margaret Vestager might make Facebook her next target. But another thing um, could be the slow realisation within the West that we'll never have driverless cars because of the, the regulatory and the liability issues which they uh, will provoke. And that could mean that driverless cars could become the, the flying cars of the 21st century. Our fifth uh, prediction is probably our most uh, daring. It is, it's a sort of um, cliche that um, the house of Saud is on the verge of collapse and always will be. But we're nonetheless going to predict that the house of Saud is going to have some problems in 2017. There will be a bit of a backlash within Saudi domestic society against uh, Mohammed bin Salman's reforms. And it'll come from three separate sources, all of which are being quite aggravated by him. The first is uh, the population, which is seeing subsidies cut. The second is the royal family, which is the target, the other parts of the royal family, which are the target of corruption investigations and, a, and really a shakedown of monumental proportions. And the third is the, is the, um, is the theocracy, the, the ruling, the, uh, the clerics within Saudi Arabia who have always been a key part of the ruling coalition. All three of these groups will uh, create a, a, a certain number of protests against Mohammed bin Salman's regime, which will uh, interestingly mean by the, this time, this next year, the Iran protests will have, will have faded, but the Saudi protests will have started. And uh, we're not predicting that, that this will topple Mohammed bin Salman, but we are predicting that he will, um, as a result of this, need to become yet more adventurous on the foreign front and step up his efforts in places like Yemen. So our sixth trend is that China will be the new Russia in Europe. So we've had many years where people have complained endlessly about Russian attempts both to divide and rule Europe and to infiltrate European politics and have uh, find ways of, of bribing, corrupting, honey trapping and using uh, technology to infiltrate our domestic politics in different European countries. But we predict that the, the big stories of 2018 are going to be about Chinese influence rather than Russian influence because Russia uh, has seen that none of its attempts to have a big impact on domestic politics within Europe have really led anywhere and have definitely been much less successful than the attempts which it made in the American elections um, of 2016. Um, our seventh prediction is the idea that 2018 will be the year in which the, uh, the US-China US relations deteriorates and even becomes a trade war. And I think that this results to a large degree from Trump's need to uh, fulfill his campaign promise and to speak to his base in the year leading up to what is clearly going to be difficult midterm elections. And trade is one of the few places where Trump has been consistent, where he has the personnel in place in the form of Robert Lighthizer as U.S. Trade Representative and Pierre Navarro within the White House, where he has the personnel in place to actually implement a policy. And so we'll start to see all sorts of rulings against China on issues like uh, steel and intellectual property. 
Uh, China may well bring these things to the WTO, but that will actually just widen the war as the U.S. Um, decides that the WTO has no right to rule on such things. So our next prediction is that the battle for, uh, between cosmopolitans and communitarians, uh, between uh, globalists and nationalists, will move from the national to the European level in 2018. Last year, uh, one of our big predictions was that national elections would dominate everything and you'd see this uh, trench war in the 50-50 polarised societies that made up Europe between those different factions. This year, after the Italian elections, there won't be any kind of big elections, but people will start thinking about the European elections in 2019 and we're going to see a lot of these battles taking place. And the two key figures I think that will emerge on the European scene will be Emmanuel Macron, who will stand at a European level with his En Marche um, movement for Europe, trying to shake up European politics in the way that he shaped up national politics. And on the other side, instead of Marine Le Pen, you'll see Sebastian Kurz, the new, even younger Chancellor of Austria, who has become a poster boy for uh, communitarians throughout Europe. And um, many people talk about how um, Austria is like Germany with, uh, with no superego. This is um, uh, um, uh, leading to Sebastian Kurz being a, a kind of role model for all the illiberal forces within Germany, but it will go well beyond um, the fact that he's uh, um, a poster boy for the, for the CSU and for the, um, for the, the more right-wing parts of Angela Merkel's uh, CDU. We're going to see other politicians from the Netherlands to, um, uh, to Italy to, um, well, right across the, the EU, um, lining up behind him to, to fight back against the, the kind of liberal values that Macron and Merkel put on the agenda in, in their own lives. Our ninth prediction is um, one that I think is, uh, is daring, and I think it'll be difficult to even prove at the end of the year. Uh, the conventional wisdom holds that with the loss of its, uh, with ISIS's loss of territory in Iraq and Syria, that it will transform itself into a, an insurgency or a more traditional terrorist group and that it will continue. But in fact, uh, and so there, there's, we're sort of constantly hearing this notion that this is not the end of the ISIS war. Actually, I think that uh, 2017 will prove the end of the ISIS war. Uh, the problem in, in substantiating that prediction will be that the label ISIS will probably continue. It already is continuing and basically any time anything happens in the world, some joker raises his hand and says, I'm from ISIS. Um, but I think what we'll realize in 2018 is that ISIS has ceased to be a group. It has ceased even to be a movement. It is now just a label or a brand which gets affixed to a certain kind of violence. But in fact, there is no ISIS anymore uh, or won't be by the end of 2018. And our final prediction is that Silvio Berlusconi will emerge as a surprise champion for European unity out of the Italian elections. He will be the kingmaker who decides what kind of coalition is made after the Italian elections. And it will be the government that he blesses, which uh, eventually reaches a deal with France and Germany on Eurozone reform and prevents a new uh, descent into Eurozone chaos in 2018. And finally, our bonus prediction, I guess by bonus prediction we mean we don't really think it's right, but it is kind of cool, uh, 
is the idea that um, is that the cyber threats that we will see in in 2018 will not be the traditional ones we've seen from Russia, but uh, from Russia and China and Iran. But it will in fact be the it, they will result from the spread of the NSA tools that seem to have been released into the wild in the last year. We already saw a preview of this with the WannaCry um, episode. And in fact, those tools are things which have a lot of the European intelligence agencies very frightened because they have not seen that kind of threat from countries like Russia and China. And if those tools are in fact in rogue hands, they face a different kind of cyber threat going forward than they have uh, seen so far. So that is what we think is going to happen in 2018. If you have any of your own predictions that you'd like to make, or if you disagree violently with the way that we marked our predictions for 2017, or think that we've missed out on big trends for 2018, please write to me at mark.leonard at ecfr.eu and we will read out some of the best predictions which are made in the next episode of The World in 30 Minutes. But for now, from Jeremy Shapiro and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of ECFR's podcast is Jonathan Hachenbrosch and our editor is Katharina Butel-Azzinaro. Thank you.